Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What a joy it is to be gathered here on this beautiful Sunday afternoon and on this New Year's Eve. And so we, we look forward to worshiping together and we have Brother Taylor Bradenhoff to lead us in worship today and we're thankful for that. And especially thankful, Taylor, that you've done so the last three weeks and got to spend some time in our area with your family. So thanks for coming out. Consistory has the following announcements. Next week, the Lord willing, we hope to have the ordination of uh, Hank Eichema and, or sorry, Hank Timmerman and Cam Eichema. They have been elected as office bears, and, and so we, we look forward to that at 2 p.m. next week, uh, as long as there are no lawful objections. We also have our consistory meeting this week, Wednesday evening. And we also remind the congregation that in two weeks, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the 2 p.m. service. Please rise for the call to worship. Our gracious God comes down and he speaks to us and he calls us to worship in the words of Psalm 57. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Congregation, where does our help come from? And the Lord responds to you with his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue praising our Lord by singing from Psalm 86, verses 1 to 4.
In 1 John, the Apostle John calls us to repent and to believe. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's now come before God and confess our sins to him. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, and our deeds, by what, by the evil we have done and by the good that we did not do. Lord, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, and we confess that we justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But Lord, we ask that for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, you would have mercy upon us. We ask that you would forgive us and that you would renew us and lead us by your Holy Spirit so we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now to all who confess their sins and who desire to live a new life of faith before God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself declares to you that your sins are fully forgiven. And now united to Christ by, by trusting in him, through grace alone we are empowered by the Spirit to put off our sins and to walk in the way of Christ, walk in the path of loving God and our neighbor. And we'll now read the Ten Commandments which guide us in Christ's way of love. And as we listen to the Ten Commandments, let us look up to Christ in heaven as we seek his power to grow in this love. In the ten words of the covenant, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall, not have, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that the days that you live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witnesses against your neighbor. 
And you shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's now respond to God's ten words of the covenant by singing from Psalm 85, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3.
us now come before the Lord and ask a blessing upon the opening of his word. Lord, we come before you this afternoon, and God, we revere your holy name. Lord, we confess that it is only by your name that salvation is found, that we can be saved, that we can escape our sins, and that we can escape the misery of life, that we can have eternal hope in this upcoming year and in all the years to come throughout history. And Lord, we ask that you would please come and dwell among us through your word, that you would speak to us. For Lord, we seek you in this worship service. We seek your word, your proclamation of peace, We seek to hear about your righteousness. We seek that you would correct us from foolish ways and that you would be near to us through your word to save us and to help us, that your glory may prevail throughout all the earth and may prevail in our hearts. And Lord, when we come to your word, we see that love meets constant faithfulness. That it brings true life. That it speaks of eternal justice. And so, Lord, we ask that you would guard our hearts from sin, that we may hear your word, and that you would work in us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now open our Bibles and we'll read from our passage from Colossians chapter 1. So we'll start at verse 1, and our text for this sermon will be verses 21, 22, and 23. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brother, brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's respond now by singing from Psalm 109, verses 11 and 13.
So I'll just read those three verses for us again of our text. So Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ in Sardis, as most of you probably know, this is the last day of the year 2023, an opportunity for review. We look back at how the last year has gone, and we look forward, and we make commitments, plans to grow, to change. We establish new habits. We make New Year's resolutions. Institutions like businesses or nonprofits, nonprofit organizations, they do something similar as well, don't they? They'll review and recommit themselves to their vision, their principles, their mission. And one of the reasons we do this as individuals and as institutions is that we don't want to fall into mission drift. Mission drift happens all the time. For instance, it's easy to look and see churches drifting into either liberalism or sectarianism. And it's why it's so important for each new generation, for you here in this upcoming year, to return to Scripture. To return once again to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how are you planning to start this new year? What are your New Year's resolutions? Perhaps your life is drifting aimlessly at the moment, away from God. Or perhaps you've hit a pl plateau in your spiritual walk. You look back over the past year and you realize you haven't actually grown much. In fact, things have perhaps gotten worse. So how should you change things in the year 2024? Or perhaps you've had a great year, you're on a, on a healthy trajectory, and you want to stay on it. You want to make sure you, do, you don't lose your momentum. So how can you stay strong in the year 2024? Well, this morning in our text, God tells us the gospel solution. It's a call to return to your first love. In Proverbs, the the pastor tells the husband to drink from his own cistern. And Paul continues in our text in that wisdom tradition saying, don't go after other wells. Don't go after other sources of wisdom. The bride must stick to her husband, the husband of the church, Jesus Christ. And that's the main message, actually, of the entire book of Colossians. 
The entire book of Colossians can be summed up in the few verses that, which we didn't read, but I'll read for you now from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7. You can look there. Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7, Paul says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And now Paul, he supports this main message in the three verses of our text, which I've summarized with the theme, in the new year, remain rooted in the reconciliation of Christ by remembering two things. First, remembering who you were before without Christ, and by remembering who you now are in Christ. So just for some context about the book of the Colossians, the Colossian church was attempted to stray from the gospel or to add things to it, new ways of spiritual power. And the Spirit gives these three verses to the Colossians, and now he also gives them to us, so telling us to stick with Jesus the entire way throughout your whole journey of life. And he does so first by reminding us of who we were before or without Christ. Now, if you look at the text, you can see that a great contrast is made between verses 15 to 20. In verses 15 to 20, if you have the ESV, it talks about the preeminence of Christ. It's this great hymn about how glorious Christ is. And then, so it ends in verse 20, and then immediately in verse 21, there's this transition where it looks at who we were without Christ. There's this great contrast between how great Christ is and then how we were without Christ. And we see that in verse 21. Let's look there. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul reminds them that without Christ, they were alienated. Alienated from God. Now, alienation has nothing to do with UFOs, but it has to do with being separated from God, to be estranged from someone. And the word is only used a few times in the New Testament to refer to unbelieving Gentiles. For instance, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God or alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have given themselves over to all sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And so we see here that the unbelieving Gentiles, alienated from God, they don't have a living relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't have the word of God. They don't have the covenant. Rather, they're separated from the life of God because of their, because of their sin. And this was perhaps how some of you even grew up. Not knowing God, not knowing the word of life. And so the Spirit wants to remind us, remind you about how, how far away how distant, how isolated and alone you were before Christ. 
But not only were you separated from God, but you were also, as the text says, hostile enemies in your mind. Our minds, there are, are, there are the structures of our thoughts. There are our ideas, our hearts. And all of this was at war with God. It wasn't just a matter of, okay, I don't know who God is, but we were at war with God. But it's even deeper than that. Because we, we love those stories, right? Where you have two guys on opposite sides of a war, and they still have some camaraderie, some love. I think of a scene from All, All Quiet on the Western Front from the novel where a German and a British soldier or one of the allied soldiers, they, they have this bond and connection, even though they're enemies, right? But that's not what we were like without Christ. Rather, we were enemies of God, and we, we hated God. We despised the Lord. We clenched our fists against God. Kelvin says that our hearts are idol factories against God because we create idols to lead us into war against God and against His creation. And this war, this hatred for God, is at the root of all unbelief and all sin. And this is who we were by nature since the sin of the great rebellion. Haters of God, enemies. And it's important to remember this, that this is who everyone is without Christ. We hated God and we made war against Him in our minds. But how do we know this? How do we know that our minds are at, we're, we're at war with God? Well, the Spirit tells us in verse 21 that what is in the mind bears fruit in our evil deeds. Our text talks about evil deeds. Because our minds, our ideas were war machines against God, they also produced all sorts of destruction, evil behaviors. The parallel passage in Ephesians that we read earlier mentions some of these evil behaviors. It says they have given themselves over to sensuality, to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What we believe in our minds directs and influences how we then act as well. And this is why the Bible talks about filling our minds with the truth. It influences how we act. But when the mind thinks something sinful, and this leads to sinful behavior, well, what, what happens then? We form an evil habit, don't we? An evil habit that then reshapes our mind even more to even worse behavior and even more evil habits. Our thoughts and our actions, they reinforce each other in this vicious cycle, spiraling down. And we could see this, you know, clearly in a cycle of addiction, don't we? A person desires a substance or an action, and this creates a habit which warps our minds and desires even more. But this isn't just for addicts, is it? This is the deadly cycle 
of sin we were all born into. And so the Spirit is saying to you in this passage that by nature, this is who you are. You were completely separated from God, your mind hating the Lord, your life nothing but wicked behavior. That's who you were without Jesus Christ. That's who you still would be without Him. Do you see how terrible of a place that was? How lost, how dark, how miserable. But why is the Spirit reminding us of how shameful we were without Christ? Well, He wants us to remember how bad it was so we never go back there. God doesn't want us to go back to who we were, to be like a dog that returns, as Proverbs says, to its own vomit and eats it up. What a disgusting image, isn't that? Eating one's own vomit. When we see a dog do that, we immediately yell at them and we try to shoo them away from doing it because it's revolting. We know it's not right. But imagine if a grown man were to do that, to vomit and to get on his hands and knees like a dog and eat his vomit. Well, that's the picture that Scripture gives for what people do when they leave Jesus Christ when they want to seek something else in the place of Jesus Christ, when they leave his church to go live their old way of life again. It's such a sad thing. We are reminded of who we were without Christ because it helps us to cling tighter to Jesus Christ. I know that for myself, this has been a helpful way to deal with doubts and temptations. I remember a time when I myself was an enemy of God. I thought that if He does exist, I really don't like Him. And at that time, I thought I was a pretty good person. But it's shameful the way that I treated people. One could say that my life was quite carefree, but in truth it was misery because it was like that dog returning to the vomit. And so when I'm tempted by life, by the life of the world, when I'm tempted to doubt God's love or His goodness, remembering who I was without Christ helps me. Okay, Taylor, the world can sometimes look good, but you You had it at one point, and it's just emptiness. It's emptiness. All that the world offers is just a mirage. It will not satisfy. But Jesus Christ has. Jesus Christ will forever. And so, brothers and sisters, do not take Jesus Christ for granted. Remember who you were without him. Let that memory drive you to cherish all who Jesus Christ is. But perhaps as you look back over your life or over this past year, 
you realize that you still are an enemy of God, that you haven't given your whole life to Jesus Christ. You're still not committing to follow Him. You're holding on to your sinful lifestyle. You're not repenting and trusting in Christ alone with all your problems. Well, then Jesus offers you friendship with Himself. He offers you freedom for your mind from sin and from misery. Jesus says to you this afternoon in the words of Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion upon you and let him return to our God for he will abundantly forgive. Recommit yourself to Christ and his church this new year. And next, we are encouraged to remain rooted in Christ by remembering who we now are in Christ. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, Paul says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right between these two verses, Paul contrasts who they once were without Christ with who they now are in Christ. He tells the Colossians to remember what God has done for you. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death. In this passage, we see that God is the one who has reconciled us. There are some presentations of the gospel that can make it seem that God the Father is a passive, impersonal force of justice that Jesus saves us from. But here we are reminded, like John 3.16, that God so loved the world, that He sent Christ in order to reconcile us in Him. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is behind it all. It's not also that we reconciled ourselves to our Lord. No, read there, it's while we were still enemies, while we were still enemies, God reconciled us to Himself. And He did so so we would not be alienated from Him but could become his own children. No longer would we be enemies of God in our mind, but our minds would be transformed and renewed to love God. And so that we would no longer be, do all sorts of evil behavior, but that we would be people who bear fruit, fruits of good works, of righteousness, and obedience to God's word. But how did God bring us back into this good relationship with him? It wasn't enough to just do some counseling to fix this kind of problem. No, look there. The text says Jesus took on our flesh, our nature. And though sinless, he bore in this human nature the wrath of God against our sins so that God's justice would be satisfied. We see here that it was necessary that a true human reconcile us to God because it was us, wasn't it? Us humans as a race 
as God's created image who had sinned against God. Well, what's the result of this reconciliation? What's the result? Well, God reconciled you so that he could present you, as the text says, verse 22, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Let's look at these three benefits, starting with holy. What does it mean that God presents us as holy through Christ's death? Well, you and I, we were separated from God. We were part of Satan's rebellious movement against God. But to be made holy is to be separated from that movement. God baptized you in, the name of the, of, in His name, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so no longer are you a child of the devil, but you are God's child. Your whole life is now dedicated to God's family, not the family of sin. So when you were baptized, whether as a child or as an adult, you were distinguished from everyone else. God said over you, over this person, that they are no longer part of that rebellious movement. They are now in my movement, the kingdom of heaven, and nothing, nothing shall take them out of my hand. And next, Paul tells the Colossians that they are also blameless without blemish blameless without blemish. Paul is making use of rich Old Testament background here. In the Old Testament, the animals that were to be sacrificed, they were also to be blameless or without blemish, without any defect. But who here would dare claim to be blameless, to have zero defects without blemish? I'm sure if anyone raised their hands, their family members would be quick to pull it down, wouldn't they? But perhaps you might. I remember as a kid telling my dad before our nighttime prayer, Dad, I don't think I sinned today. I thought I was without fault. And yet my father was quick to remind me of what occurred earlier that day. The pastor's daughter had left her purse in the playground, and when she came back, a dollar was missing, and then as we're about to pull out of the parking lot, the pastor rushes up, and he comes to my dad's window, and he asks nicely if anyone had taken his loony, his daughter's loony, as he sticks his head right through the window and looks directly to the back right at me, and in shame, I had to hand back the loony to him, but by bedtime, I'd already forgotten and told my dad that I hadn't sinned at all. But even though we cannot truthfully claim to be blameless, even though we cannot truthfully claim to be blameless like I did to my father all those years ago, despite that, God presents us to himself and to the world as being without blemish because of the work of Jesus Christ. God says over his people, in Christ, you are blameless. You are without any defect in Christ. And the third reason that God 
reconciled his people was to present them above reproach, or as the NIV says, free from accusation. Free from accusation. This is a legal or judicial term describing someone who can't be prosecuted as guilty, cannot be given a prison sentence. Even though we sinned, even though we still sin, yet in Christ we are free from accusation. God will not accuse and condemn those who are in Jesus. They are free from blame because Christ took the blame. And so even though the devil accuses you, tempts you to doubt the power of Christ's work for you, it cannot change the fact that Christ's people are free from God's punishment. Because of Christ, you are declared to be perfect, an upstanding citizen in Christ's kingdom. And so on the day of judgment, God will declare before the judgment seat and before the world that you are free from accusation in Christ. And because it's in Christ, these three gospel truths cannot change because Christ cannot change. Because you are in Christ, You are holy, blameless, and free from accusation. And because you are in the changeless Christ, those things that God describes about you will not change either. So people of Jesus Christ, you may be overwhelmed by the evil you have done. Perhaps some of the evil you have done this past year. You're anxious, guilty, ashamed of who you are before the eyes of God and before the world. Don't go seeking to deal with that guilt and shame by yourself. Rather, deal with it by bringing it to the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Remind yourself of who you are in God's eyes. In Christ's death, you are holy. In Christ's death, you are now blameless. You are able to be a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God. In Christ's death, you are free from accusation. Put these truths in your pockets. Carry them around with you. Write these truths on your heart. When you wake up in the morning, say them to yourself. God says that through Christ's death, I am holy. I am without blemish. I am free from accusation. And these truths, they help us in how we teach and train our covenant children. There was this book called The Help. Perhaps you read it or you watched the movie they made after. And in this story, there's a woman who, as a servant, raises... another family's daughter. And this servant would always and repeatedly say three things to this young girl. She would say, you is smart, you is kind, 
you is important. She would always repeat those words to her. Well, brothers and sisters, when you are raising your children, or when you are living life with your brothers and sisters in the faith, remind them of who they are in Christ's reconciliation. Tell them repeatedly over and over and over again, day by day, God has reconciled you through Christ's death. My son, you are holy in Christ. My daughter, you are blameless. My friend, you are free from accusation. Let these truths tether you, brothers and sisters, ground you in your daily life. And this is why the Spirit is telling the Colossians and us in verse 23 that we must continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He wants us to be tethered to the gospel, not shifting from it. And the reason is that you cannot be static. You cannot be apathetic or passive because that's not even a neutral stance. There is no neutrality when it comes to God and the gospel. If you are apathetic this afternoon, you're just growing away from Jesus Christ. And so return to Christ again all over Again, foster a greater love for God by remembering who you are in Christ. You are holy, blameless, and free from accusation. Be rooted in these truths. Grow in your understanding. Delight and thankfulness for these benefits. And as a congregation, grow deeper in your knowledge and your affection, your love for these life-changing truths of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is only one way. There is only one way that this congregation here will not experience mission drift. There is only one way that you can be truly blessed in this upcoming year. It's by remaining rooted in the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Don't abandon your only hope, the one Savior. Remember who you were without him. You were stuck in sin and misery. And remember who you now are by God's grace and who you will be forever in Christ, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Stick to your vision, brothers and sisters. Stick to the one path of reconciliation, to the one hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand if we are able and let's respond by singing about how deep the Father's love is for us.
Let's now bring our needs to the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, we gladly come before you on this last day of the year. God, we give you so much thanks that you have given us your son Jesus Christ so long ago and that he could be our one and only Savior. We thank you that you have guided us and protected us through this year. We thank you for all the, the blessings. And Lord, we even thank you for the difficulties and the trials that you could use to shape us, that you could use to guide us to return to you, And yet, Lord, we also bring before you some of our losses and our difficulties and our struggles that we have had this past year and the hurts that we are bringing into the new year. Lord, we pray for Enica and Marion and many others who are mourning the loss of John Hadama. That's a burden that many here have to carry with them in the new year. And so, Lord, we pray that you would comfort and be near to them. That you would assure them of your love and of the power of Jesus Christ to reunite brothers and sisters divided by the veil of death. And God, we also want to pray for our brother Garrett with his cancer diagnosis. That too is a great burden that he now has. And Lord, we pray that you would be with Garrett and Grace as they learn to walk in this difficulty. We pray that you would give them strength that you would grant healing and also patience as the, the tests go on and as treatments are considered and all that comes with cancer can take a toll mentally and spiritually. So Lord, we pray that you would be with them, that you would lift them up and that they could see your fatherly hand and know your love. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us in this upcoming year, that we would be wholly devoted to you, that we would stop holding back parts of our lives and our hearts, but that we would be completely devoted to you. And God, we ask for your grace and your spirit and your strength and your power to work in us, to draw us back to yourself that we may grow in love and grow in the gospel. And God, we pray that you would give us a good time of fellowship between our services, that you would help us to be refreshed and renewed for to hear your word again. 
And God, we bring all of our needs, not because of our own name, but as we began this service, only in your name. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to show our thanks uh, through the, by giving to the ministry of mercy, after which we'll stand and sing hymn 8. hear God's parting grace and greeting or benediction the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace amen <laughs>